Yes, um, I just wanted to mention that um, the message this morning has been something that's been on my heart, and I want to share it with you today. It comes from uh, Matthew 22, verse 15 to 22, and I encourage you to kind of maybe grab your Bible and open it up to that passage, Matthew 22, verse 15 to 22, and I'll give you a moment just to uh, do that. I don't have a page number, obviously, for you. Uh, there is a second scripture. Uh, you can prepare for that, but I won't sh- read that right at the moment. But it'll be John 8, verses 1 to 11. And uh, my message is called, What is God's? And uh, I think that will become clear as we kind of ex- look at this passage. But before we actually read the passage, I just wanted to uh, suggest a scenario to you this morning. What if the governing authorities set a law ruling you that you had to obey by, but it was against your core beliefs, against your standard to be obedient to God? You have certain beliefs that do not permit you to cross certain lines because it goes against what you believe to be truth. Now, to be fair, what you believe to be truth can change as you mature in the faith, of course. What you perceive to be the truth may be your perception of truth. No doubt, absolute truth never changes, but our perception of truth uh, does as we gain more life experience and have a better grasp of what the Word of God dictates. What we believe to be truth changes when we see the perspectives of those who have to navigate through difficult moral decisions. We'll look at that in a moment. Yet we want to be faithful to what God requires of us. This is a dilemma that we often find ourselves in, that somehow there is little, there is a line within our Christian beliefs that we cannot cross. And in our passage this morning, the Jewish religious leaders were trying to put Jesus in a dilemma where it seemed there was no right answer. They were trying to trap him in a situation where he would decide whether he would abide by the rule of the governing authorities or abide by God's authority. So let's, at this point, look at our text. It's Matthew 22, verses 15 to 22. Follow with me. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. And so they brought him a denarius. And he asked them, Whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give to Caesar what is Caesar." And what is God's, God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed. 
So they left him and went. Having read that, let's just look at maybe the context of the question that the Pharisees presented to Caesar, to uh, Jesus. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? This is a question that the Pharisees and even the Herodians, and these were the people who were loyal to Herod, uh, Herod being a Jew, and uh, he, of course, cozied up to the Romans. They tried to entrap him. They obviously had no love for Jesus, for he was, as he was challenging their standing as religious leaders in their community among the Jewish people. The Pharisees believed that they alone were the authoritative interpreters of the Jewish law. They had tried many times to challenge Jesus and uh, impact his uh, rapport among the people, but they were, of course, never successful. The question was set up so that there would be no right answer or no safe answer if uh, he would say that it was lawful to pay taxes to the Roman emperor then he would upset the people who were very rebellious against this poll tax or temple tax. Um, and this scene takes place near the celebration of the Passover. In fact, in the temple, uh, it had taken place just after Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which was one of the holiest Jewish feast days. And we kind of remember the, uh, the scene as this takes place where Jesus uh, comes with a, a colt, uh, sitting on a colt, and all the land. people had laid palm branches out for him. And Passover commemorates uh, God's deliverance of the Israelites from Egyptian slavery and also celebrates the divine restoration of the Israelites to the land of Israel or Canaan, that uh, land which was then occupied by the Romans. Jewish pilgrims throughout Judea would have been streaming uh, into Jerusalem to fulfill their periodic religious duties at the temple. Payment of the tribute or poll tax or temple tax conveniently encapsulated the deeper philosophical, political, and theological issue. Either God and his divine laws were supreme, or the Roman emperor and his pagan laws were supreme. The coin Jesus requests to see suggests that there is something meaningful about the coin itself. The denarius uh, was truly the emperor's property because it had his image on it. It it was used to pay his soldiers, officials, and suppliers. It bore the imperial seal. It differed from the copper coins issued by the Roman Senate. And it was also the coin which subjected peoples in theory which were required to pay the tribute. Tiberius, who was the emperor at that time, even made it a capital crime to um, have the coin stamped with his image into a bathroom or into a brothel. In short, the denarius was a tangible representation of the emperor's power, wealth, deification, and subjugation. However, the Jews saw this coin as a sacrilege, and Tiberius saw himself as a god himself. The tribute episode takes place in the temple, as I mentioned, and by producing the coin, the questioners reveal their own religious hypocrisy. 
They bring a potentially profane, profane item, the coin of a pagan, into the sacred space of the temple. By appealing to Jesus' authority to interpret God's law, the questioners accomplished two goals. First, they forced Jesus to answer the question, and if Jesus refuses, as we know, he will lose his credibility as a rabbi with the people who just proclaimed him king. The second thing is that they forced Jesus to base this answer in scripture, testing his scriptural knowledge and hoping to discredit him if he cannot escape being disproven. If Jesus says that it is lawful to pay the tribute, he would be, have been seen as a collaborator with the Roman conquerors, occupiers, and would alienate the people who just proclaimed him a king. If Jesus says that the tribute is illegitimate, he risks being branded as a political criminal, incurring the wrath of Rome. So whether either answer, someone would have been likely to kill him. However, instead of answering the question, Jesus, and this is common in Jewish um, conversation, is that usually there's a rhetorical question, and this is how Jesus um, kind of responds to this denarius coin. And he asks, whose image is this on the coin, and whose inscription? And of course, his response was so clear and so simple but yet so profound. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying, and in their shame, they quietly slinked away. So as believers in Jesus Christ, many, many of us would want to have clear answers to difficult moral questions. But the truth is that there are times when there is no clear answer. There is certainly a right and a wrong, but how we interpret and deal with these issues can be very different in real life. A good example is the way Jesus deals with a woman in adultery. Take a moment now to turn with me to our second passage in John 8, verses 1 to 11. And I'll share that with you as you open to that portion of scripture. Because in this passage, Jesus responds to some very difficult ethical issues. John 8, verses 1 to 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, he commanded us to stone each such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. 
At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with a woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So here again, we see the Pharisee trying to trap Jesus with a response that would discredit him and his authority as a rabbinical teacher. I'm guessing if she was caught in adultery, she was likely naked. The people dragged her through the streets like a prize they had won. Look at us. Look at what we found, Jesus. You can't deny her for her wickedness. After he drew with his finger in the sand, it separated him and the woman from everybody else. Jesus looked at the crowd and said, You without sin cast the first stone. Oh my, the silence must have been thick enough to cut with a knife. Or they were all muttering in their little religious spiels under their breath. But one by one, they all had to hang their heads and leave as each one realized the impact of Jesus' words. Maybe their sins were not public knowledge and were hidden from you, but sin is sin. Not one of them threw a stone at the woman. After they were all gone, Jesus turned to the woman and still face down in the dirt in her shame and reproach and still fearing the words. He said, woman, Where are your accusers? She answered, they are none. And so he finished by saying, go and sin no more. How could that be possible? How could an adulterous woman lift herself up from the dirt and be on her way, naked and shamed and guilty? What have we missed in this whole scenario? What have we missed? We have missed love. Unconditional love. For Jesus to tell her that he did not condemn her was his expression of unconditional love for her in the present condition that she was in. No judgment. And yet, she was a sinner. At this point, I want to just kind of bring it home a little bit and talk about some practical issues. We want to look at some of the issues that we as believers have to reconcile with. And I know that some of these issues invoke some very strong passions. And I want you to bear with me. One of them is abortion. Many of of us believe that abortion is always prohibited by God. That it is a life, and as such, taking away a life is not our, our decision to make. However, let's look at a very different, difficult situation. And this is something that does happen throughout the world. How is a woman to live with a situation where she was raped? 
and then was subsequently shamed, shunned, and treated like garbage by her society and even her family. There are many scenarios like this throughout the world where if we were in their situation, what would we do? How can we demonstrate God's love rather than be judgmental? And this is, you know, this is prevalent here, but even more prevalent in many other societies around the world. Another issue is euthanasia. When, it is, when is it allowable to end someone's life? Again, many of us believe that this is not our decision to make, that taking a life is in God's hand, not yours or ours. Yet with medical advances, we can prolong a life that if left without medical intervention, they would certainly pass away much more quickly, naturally. If a man or woman has no quality of life and living with enormous pain and suffering, how can we show God's love? Maybe you have had to contend with these situations with your loved ones. And of course, these are no easy decisions that you have to make. And of course, this is something that is going on as we speak all the time. Another situation is, what about killing another human in a conflict situation? When you're a leader of a country, when your leader of a country declares war against another country or a, another people group, are we obligated to be obedient to the governing authorities? Some would say, of course. God has put them in positions of authority and we are obligated to be loyal and submissive, submissive to that authority. That's not an easy decision, as leaders can be corrupt, or the issues they are contesting go against what we believe. Yet many believers have lived through these situations and have not been sure of what side they should be on. Even killing another human being goes against our very nature. So again, these are not easy decisions to make. There are many other situations that Christians are placed in all the time. Often there is no clear answer. Often we realize that when we actually talk to people who find themselves in this type of quandary, it is only when we realize how difficult their decision really is that we begin to understand their perspective. If we, were to put, if we were to put ourselves in their place, how would we respond? Would we possibly respond in a less righteous way? Can we really judge those who find themselves in very difficult situations if we've never experienced the situation that they are dealing with? Maybe you've been in such a situation or will be in some future date. As a believer, we may find ourselves wrestling with doing what is right. But what is right is complicated and unclear. It's like we need to close our eyes and say to God, 
I feel as though I am blind. I just can't see which way to go. And it's then that we surrender. And it's at that point that God speaks to us. It's when we stop trying to weigh the pros and cons and to what is right and what is wrong. It's at that point that God can speak to us in that still, quiet voice. And so, may God be your guide. Amen. Let's come to God in a moment of prayer. Father, as Christians, we are often put in situations that we have no clear answer. And yet you are speaking to us, sometimes in a quiet voice. Help us, Lord, to surrender. Surrender to what your will is for us. Help us, Lord, to understand your word and how your Holy Spirit is working in our lives. Help us, Lord, to make the decision that honors you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.